Judgment Studios. The Michelle Obama Podcast is out now on Spotify. This series brings listeners inside the former First Lady's most candid and personal conversations, showing us what's possible when we allow ourselves to be vulnerable, to open up and focus on what matters most. Joining the former First Lady is an array of special guests, including Marion and Craig Robinson, Conan O'Brien, Valerie Jarrett, Michelle Norris, and Dr. Sharon Malone. Episodes focus on relationships that shape us, from siblings and close friends to partners, parents, and mentors, to our relationship with ourselves and our health. Listen free at Spotify.com slash Michelle Obama. Okay, so there is nothing I love more than a free weekend, one of those big, big, heavy history books, right? Maybe even a bottle or two or something to make the thirst go away. Because some of these books are great, truly. You should read them. People have done conquered, built, expanded, won, and experienced so much stuff. But, but, I found that at the center of almost every single book is a fundamental lie. The deceit they won't tell you about, Snappers, I will tell you. See, these books are largely about men who make decisions for other people. And these other people either do as instructed or they do not, no matter. They are not the wheel on which history turns. Only the admirals, the presidents, the Churchills, the mayors, the Kennedys, the Fords, the Natos, the Carnegies, the Illuminati, the banks, the powers. Only they get a say in leaving a legacy. It's their interactions and insights that make up the history the rest of us get to live in. Right? Right? Well, today, we're going to flip the script because the truth is, history is not something that you watch. It's something you make. And today, we're going to prove it. From Snap Judgment and Snap Underground Studios, we proudly present One Way Mission. My name is Glenn Washington, and know this is always the peasants that hold the pitchforks when you're listening to Snap Judgment. We begin behind the scenes of one of the most epic standoffs in U.S. history where one young man, a young man you've never heard of before, is asked to do the impossible. Snap Judgment. Whenever anyone in his family asked Jack Boyles about his time aboard the USS Shangri-La during the 60s, he always told them the same thing. They simply knew that I had been on the Shangri-La for two years and that I had some very close friends on the ship and that I enjoyed my time there. But they just don't know the half of the story. And I couldn't say a word about it to anyone, nobody. Even after Jack left the service and settled down in his hometown in High Point, North Carolina, 
the powers that be would not let him forget the story of what happened. My mother said that an FBI agent, actually it was two, had come to our home and was just asking her questions about me. About that same time, the pastor at our local Baptist church told me that he had been contacted by an FBI agent, and he asked me, what did you get into? And I said, nothing. It's been 56 years, and still today the memories of it will awaken you in the middle of the night, and you sort of learn not to move or jump up. You just open one eye real carefully and slowly. You hear people sometimes say, well, I'm trying to find myself. Well, in these three days in 1962, I found myself and I knew exactly who I was and exactly what I was going to do. And there was no looking back. In October of 1962, Jack was aboard the USS Shangri-La when word came down that the captain of the ship wanted to see him. I could not help but feel like I had done something wrong. And I'm having the strangest of thoughts. Everything from they're going to throw me overboard for some reason to... They're going to put me in the brig and nobody will ever see me again. As Jack made his way to a private closed-off area on the ship, he noticed two officers with weapons on their shoulders, standing guard. And I knew at this time that something is going on that's bigger than what I'm thinking about. As the only yeoman on the Shangri-La... Jack carried classified messages back and forth between top officers, so he knew before most people on board exactly what the ship was doing in the waters around Cuba. Talks between the U.S. and Russia were coming to a head, and in what appeared to be a final move, the White House surrounded the island with Navy ships to stop any more Russian supplies from going in or coming out almost looked like a doggone World War II invasion that you would see on the movie screen today. It's that two-week period now known as the Cuban Missile Crisis. The threat of nuclear war was very palpable. But I had no earthly idea what was fixing to happen to me. And I noticed in the center of the room there was a large table. I recognized the captain, the executive officer was there. And I came to attention, said that my name is Boyles, YN2, reporting as ordered, sir. And he said, stand easy. This is a mission that we're going to discuss with you that is a strictly voluntary mission Then the captain went on to say to me then and there, this is probably a one-way mission. Do you understand that? 
God, a one-way mission. That means, that means one way. That means dead. In the back of my mind, I kept thinking about my family, my sister, my mother, and my dad. And I thought about them all the time that these few minutes were passing. And I kept seeing their faces in front of me. And, and I said, I, sir, I understand. Yes, I volunteer for this. It seemed like everybody started breathing again instead of holding their breath. I could almost feel it. So the captain said, thank you, boils. Pull up a chair. The captain told Jack that he'd received top-secret orders from the White House to put a contingency plan in place immediately. The U.S. had spotted three nuclear missiles in Cuba. This plan was that the United States would bomb these nuclear weapons that Russia and Cuba had in place before they could launch them against the United States. I thought to myself, Hiroshima and Nagasaki, they know what an atomic bomb would be like. And you can see pictures of that complete devastation in, in World War II. A nuclear bomb would be considerably more than both of those events put together. And in 1962, the only way for a pilot to locate and accurately drop a bomb was to place an individual on the ground at the site of each missile silo. Three separate silos, three separate people with the same mission to light those three silos up simultaneously and explode all three of them as close to the same moment as humanly possible. My mission, what was assigned to me, was silo number two. You hear the words, you hear the plan, and you know you're going to be a part of it. It just played out as a scary, almost surreal event happening in slow motion. And I could see it in my mind. People are going to die. I was going to die. Less than 48 hours later, Jack was geared up and in the air over Cuba. He knew nothing about the other two men who were assigned to silos number one and number three. I don't know if that was by circumstance or choice or the way the directives failed. But he knew that in that very same moment, they were in their own helicopters, making the same journey he was. It's about 9 o'clock, 9 p.m. And I realized as we were flying up the coastline on the south side that this is probably going to be my last flight, that I'm not going to see anything or anybody after this. The co-pilot 
turned around and saluted the crew member that was there with me. He and I shook hands. No words. We just shook hands and eyes somewhat locked on each other. And a moment later, the helicopter touched down. The door had already been opened and I was out the door onto the terrain. All I could hear was the whir of the engine going away. The helicopter was gone. And then in that just split moment of just overwhelming silence and darkness and the totality of being absolutely alone, that struck me big time. What in the world have I done? And then I thought, get into the woods, stupid. Don't sit here. I had my map, my compass. Jack had been dropped off about five miles away from silo number two. Now he needed to orient himself, find its exact location, and get as close to it as possible without being seen. I could line up several big trees in a row and walk from one to the other, crouching behind each one as I would move forward. They all were so tall, and it was just trees and more trees and more trees. In his mind, Jack went over the orders he was given. Do not, under any circumstances, be captured. Do not be caught. Suicide is the only way out. Be quiet, Jack. Don't make any noise. Don't rattle any equipment. Just be quiet as you possibly can be. And then I thought, well, if my heart would stop beating so loud, maybe nobody would hear me. Jack kept a steady pace, and after about three hours, the seemingly endless forest of trees finally came to an end. I could tell by the light opening up in the distance that I'm nearing this opening area. I looked forward and I spotted silo number two immediately. It actually reminded me of, of an erector set that I had when I was a little boy. I could see trucks. I could see tents. I could see a multitude of people walking in a distance around the units. And I noticed off to my left-hand side still in the tree line, but it looked like there was a cinder block building. The building looked old, dilapidated, but it was far enough away from the encampment for Jack to make a quick beeline for it through the trees without being seen. I climbed up on top of this building, and sure enough, it had a straight line of sight from the top to the top edge of this thing. 
the silo number two. I thought to myself, this is going to be my best location in order to put a light beam on the edge of that reflective piece of metal so that the pilot could make a more accurate bomb drop onto it. The one thing I needed to do now, though, was contact the ship and let them know I'm in position. And this was about to get scary. God, let me do a good job of this. Don't let me mess it up. So I got my radio out and as quiet as I could, I called the ship. Snake calling ghost. Snake in position for drill. Just a few minutes before 0200, I heard thunder calling on the radio. Thunder calling snake, stand by for drill. And a moment later, I could hear this, it would be an FAU Crusader bomber coming up from the south. Those things have a unique sound. It's uh, like a cross between a whine and a whistle all at one time. And then I heard my radio come on. The pilot said, Thunder calling snake, light it up. From his crouched position, Jack pulled the trigger on his light beam rifle. It pierced the darkness and lit up the top round edge of the missile with a flash. He prayed that nobody was around to see it. And then I cut the light off and I heard the airplane come over and he was gone. The pilot came back on the radio and said, Thunder calling snake, 1010 meant that it was about as good as we could get. That was probably the first time in several days that I felt like I had done something right. We have to take a quick break, but trust me, you're going to want to find out what happens to Jack in the middle of those woods in Cuba. Snap Judgment. Pants with a belt, collared shirts, Oxfords. I haven't put on a suit jacket since the pandemic started. In this new world, we have new priorities. And Allbirds had something that might help with that, because feeling good goes beyond Allbirds' amazing footwear. Introducing the all-new Trino underwear from Allbirds. Whether it's a woman's bralette, brief, shorty, or thong, or the men's boxer briefs. With Allbirds Trino underwear, you can get intimate with nature, with intimates made with nature. Your private parts and the planet will love Allbirds Trino underwear. Find your pair at allbirds.com. Stamp Judgment is supported by Rocket Mortgage. When I'm looking for a new home, I imagine myself in every space. Do I want to relax in that yard? Can I use that shower every day? I want to know the house fits me. 
Rocket Mortgage built a home loan experience designed for you with certainty at every step and no unwanted surprises. You can relax knowing you're getting a home loan that fits your life. Visit rocketmortgage.com snap because when you need a mortgage that fits your life, Rocket can. Call for cost information and conditions. Equal housing lender licensed in all 50 states. In MLSConsumerAccess.org number 3030. We're back. I'm going to get right into Jack's story when last we left him. Jack had been dropped secretly into Cuba. It's the middle of the Cuban Missile Crisis. And he's charged with the enormous task of guiding a pilot to bomb a missile silo. Snap judgment. Jack took a seat on the roof and leaned his back against the cinder block wall. The tree branches that hung right in front of him gave him some cover. So it was dark, cloudy, but yet there were still quite a few stars out. I waited and I waited. I don't think I ever closed my eyes at all. Jack occupied his mind by focusing on the task at hand. He had the light beam rifle propped up and ready to go. His radio sat by his lap, and he would occasionally touch his left pant pocket, where he kept the small glass vial with the cyanide tablet inside, in case he had to take himself out first. When you know that you're going to die, you don't know how you feel. Will you get a notice? Will you, will it just show up? Will time just abruptly end for you? Will ghost call and say that he's coming to drop a bomb? I had already purposed that I would count backwards from five and just see if I could get the one before everything quit. How in the world did a young man from High Point, North Carolina, wind up in such a place as this with such a just overwhelming responsibility? I'm going to hold the world in the crosshairs of this site and this trigger finger. It's, it's just an overwhelming thought, but knowing what was transpiring between our president and the Russian Premier Khrushchev, I wish they'd get their differences worked out before we're all gone. When daylight came, I could see the sun coming up and a little bit of mist burning off. You could see a little bit of activity picking up. And as I'm looking up the clearing a ways, over to the right-hand side, my eyes sees someone walking towards me. And it looked like it was a young man in his late teens, maybe early 20s. And he was my worst fear and my worst nightmare if he came to within the left-hand corner of this building i could not let him leave and alert people that i was right there at silo number two four or five hundred yards away from it 
I'm about to have a heart attack sitting here watching this unfold, but being purposed in what I was going to do. I actually had my knife in my hand because it kept looking more and more like this person is going to come down this direction. This person got almost to the tree line and stopped, literally turned around and started walking back the way he came. Why did they stop? I had no idea why he did that, but I was so thankful that he did. But then my thoughts took me to, did that fella see my light this morning, that reflective beam off that silo? You talk about worried, golly. I didn't know whether to shoot myself or take my cyanide tablet at that time. So I didn't know what to do, and I spent the next that afternoon waiting for Russian troops to come down and swarm the woods. But then the evening approached and nothing happened. And I'm quiet as a mouse. I'm, I'm only using my eyes to move. I don't move my head. I just move my eyes from side to side. And in the time that I sat on this roof, I think the one thing I learned was that I can't change anything. I'm just here. But I was scared to death. I thought to myself, what is, what isn't, what did I do, what didn't I do, what could I have changed, who did I hurt, who did I insult, what could I have done better? but you can only plan to die for so long. So I kept wondering, well, let's go ahead and get this over with. Jack had only expected the mission to take all of 48 hours, but it was now his third night hiding out on the roof of this cinder block building. Just a little bit after midnight, I received a message from Ghost. That was the ship. And it was not our time to talk, so I knew something was going to happen. Ghost calling Snake. Abort mission. Return to LZ for pickup at 0430. And this is dark as can be tonight. So I just thought to myself, Lord, don't let me mess up on going back from here to there. Don't let me run into any enemy soldiers. Jack was too worried to feel any sort of relief. He scrambled down the old building as quietly as he could. He trekked through the forest of tall trees to the spot where he was first dropped off. And then he jumped into a helicopter that quickly whisked him away and delivered him back to the Shangri-La. Once there, the first thing the captain did was remind him that the details of this aborted mission are to remain top secret. And if I revealed any of this information, 
that I'd be subject to the penalties under law for it, life imprisonment or death, or both. It was a whole lot to carry. Jack held on to this secret for nearly 60 years. And then one day in the spring of 2018, after his 78th birthday, his son arrived at his door, carrying a huge cardboard box. And I looked at that thing as he come through the door, and I thought, my goodness, what has he got in that big of a box? My son looked at me and said, you're going to like this. Jack's son carefully pulled out a hand-carved, one-of-a-kind model of the USS Shangri-La. I probably looked like an owl that somebody had just shined a flashlight into his eyes. And I sat there and I looked and I looked. The sides and the edges and the railing all had intricate little to-scale windows and ladders. And I could just simply see me and my friends at the time running up and down these places. And it brought back just more memories that really just uh, left me in tears. It just all seemed to be like a, a puzzle that fell into place, and it seemed to me to say, okay, Jack, it's okay to talk about it. Go ahead. Still, Jack feels apprehensive talking about what happened. The reality is nobody's ever come along that I'm aware of and said these events of 1962 are declassified. But he says it's worth the risk. Yes, ma'am. Unequivocally worth the risk. And I would say in Navy words, aye, aye, sir. I guess that's one of the good benefits about being old is that Just like sitting on a a broken-down rooftop in Cuba in 1962, I do have nothing to lose. I'm glad to get that off my chest. Thanks to Jack Boyles for revealing his long-kept secret with the snap. The original score for that piece was by Leon Morimoto. The story was produced by Nancy Lopez. History is never over. Never. If you missed even a moment of the program, know this. Hours of Snap storytelling await at snapjudgment.org. Learn how this team of intrepid adventurers makes Snap Snap. Hit us on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram. But not Snapchat. Please don't hit me on the Snapchat. Snap was produced by the team of lovers, not fighters. Give it up, if you would, for the Uber producer, Mr. Mark Ristich. Don't hold back. Pat, the CD Miller, 
Anna Sussman is lost, while Nancy Lopez is found. Leon Morimoto can't list Matt can. Adisa Egan will call you later on that question. Shana Sheely is faster than she looks. Eliza, water slide, Smith, tail, rum slide to cot, Renzo, too tall, Gorio, and never play cards with Jasmine Aguilera. And even though this is not the news, no way is this news. In fact, you could discover a history book. A history book with your name in it. Only to realize that that lightning bolt scar over your forehead didn't really come from a slip in the park. And you would still, still not be as far away from the news as this is. But this is G.R.X.